Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, June 6, 2014. Yeah, this is our last recorded episode in our current pirate cave in Indiana. Next time you listen to me, I'll be recording from a new bunker somewhere in North Dakota. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, because there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bible, and see if uh, the popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, authors, you know, folks like that, if what they're telling us is really what God's Word says, or, well, if it's something else. All right, so here's here's the uh, the deal. Like I said uh, in the opening of the program, today is the last, this is the last recorded episode in the state of Indiana. That's right. Um, now, if I move back to Indiana some, you know, 15, 20, 30 years from now, I, you know, we may record more episodes here in the state of Indiana. <laughs> but uh, as it is right now, um, you know, we're, uh, the family is uh, just about totally packed up and we are heading out to uh, North Dakota and uh, next Sunday, yeah, that's right, Not on, on the 15th of June at 4 in the afternoon is my installation service at Kungsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. And, uh, and so I will be installed as their pastor. And uh, again, this is a small church. They can't afford a full-time pastor, and I can't afford to, uh, to quit my uh, full-time job. And so I will be bivocational. I will be both pastor and, uh, and radio guy. Uh, but the two vocations do not mix. You, you get what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, so next week is uh, the move, and we will not be broadcasting Fighting for the Faith next week. It'll be uh, all best-of programs. I wish it was a vacation. I could really use a little bit of time off right now. Uh, however, it's not going to be a vacation. It's really going to be a lot of work uh, moving the house and, and getting everything set up. And then uh, next, uh, in fact, next Saturday, in fact, I'm speaking at uh, the Issues Etc. conference. So this is going to be a crazy week. So we pack everything up, move to uh, 
uh, Minnesota. Then I get on an airplane, actually North Dakota. And then I get on an airplane, uh, fly to St. Louis, uh, present at the issues, et cetera, making the case conference, get on an airplane, fly home. And then the next day, um, you know, we've, uh, my, is my installation as pastor. So yeah, it's and then the week after that is Reformation Montana. It, this is June is going to be crazy. I just want you all to know that it, this is already crazy from my end. It's uh, it's somewhat difficult to focus and actually uh, uh, put together the programs the way I normally do. But what we're going to do today, we're going to end off. Uh, with a, a stinking pot episode of Fighting for the Faith. Yeah, that's what we call those uh, episodes that do not have a theological theme. Uh, basically, we take the scraps of different weird things that I've been looking at but haven't discussed on the air, just stick them into the Fighting for the uh, Faith blender and hit frappe, you know, and the, the frappy button, and just see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. And so today's episode will be like that. Uh, so we have a William Tapley update uh, that we will be doing. Um, oh, man. You know, from time to time, I get emails from folk uh, who say, you know, I used to think that William Tapley was uh, just one of your satirical sketch characters. And then I looked him up on YouTube and found out, oh, <laughs> This isn't satire, right? Yeah, see, that's the you see. The, the, <clears throat> William Tapley is the gift that keeps on giving. We'll, we'll just say that. And uh, this is a person who really, legitimately, should have the uh, the video camera taken away from him. But since his family hasn't seemed fit to do that, uh, we we continue to feature him at, here at Fighting for the Faith because he serves as a, a as a kind of theological object lesson, if you would. And so, uh, William Tapley, uh, the last two videos that he has produced. He has spent time delving into the deep prophetic insights regarding a Miracle Whip commercial. (laughs) I just can't make this up. Yeah, apparently there's a Miracle Whip commercial out there that features a woman who plays kind of a devilish role. And she makes, get this, deviled eggs and takes them to a church outdoor function. And uh, and seduces people to eat her deviled eggs. And, of course, this is clearly a, a message from God. And uh, if it weren't for William Tapley, I would have completely me- missed all the prophetic insights of this particular Miracle Whip commercial. Considering the fact I don't really have time to watch TV and I hadn't even seen the commercial to begin with. So we'll begin with that. Um, I think we're going to switch gears and go to Joel Osteen after that. Then we got a Terry Savelle Foy update. And if time permits, uh, a little bit of a uh, Todd Bentley update. Uh, Todd Bentley is in Oklahoma. And uh, apparently he had a debt cancellation service. Yeah, uh, Miracle uh, Signs and Wonders debt cancellation service. And Justin Peters, uh, this is one of the guys who spoke at the Strange Fire Conference, Justin Peters crashed the party. And I don't know how he pulled it off, but he was able to get to the front uh, and uh, and be in front of the audience and have the ability to speak into the microphone. And it looks like Justin Peters was dressed like a redneck. And uh, and may have been asking for you know you know you know I don't know how exactly he did it but uh, you know clearly uh, Justin Peters is a guy who uh, I think he has some type of uh, I don't know if it's you know I, he's got a disability of some kind that's all I know and uh, and so you know maybe he was up to you know up on um, up front in order to receive you know healing and impartation from. 
uh, Todd Bentley, but he didn't use that time to be healed by Todd Bentley. He used the time to warn people about Todd Bentley. So uh, hopefully we'll have a little bit of time to uh, cover all of the different things. And then in hour number two, uh, we're going to end off – the uh, the Indiana uh, good sermons uh, yeah that's right we always try to end off the weeks with uh, good sermons uh, with a uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley sermon uh, re- again from the book of Genesis and he's uh, preaching through the text that deals with uh, Jacob being deceived into marrying Leah. Uh, and then end up having to work for Rachel, and then Leah not being loved, and then the baby boom that comes out as a result of you know all of that with uh, Bilhah and Zilpah and uh, and Rachel and Leah, and and you know it's a text you sit there and go, oh, how is he going to pull the gospel out of that one? Uh, you know, it's one of those texts you sit there and go. You know, as a, as you know, as a teacher in God's church, you know, you get to a text like that and you go, "I, woo, there's a lot I could do with this, and there's a lot I could do wrong with it." But uh, Pastor Charmley does a, fa- a fantastic job, and so uh, Pastor Charmley will get the uh, supreme honor of actually being uh, the last good sermon uh, aired on fighting for the faith while fighting for the faith was in the state of Indiana, as if that actually means anything. I mean, it just you don't. It's, at the end of the day, it's going to be the same radio equipment just in North Dakota. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, uh, we have uh, literally a, a ton of ground that we need to cover. And uh, since we're going to begin with a William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, and co-prophet of the End Times update, that requires us to do this. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. That's right. That's uh, William Tapley. And by the way, somebody reminded me that William Tapley is not the only person on Fighting for the Faith that actually has the honor of singing his own update music. Yeah, in fact, the first person that we really did that with was Brian McLaren. Remember, oh, mysterious mystery. (laughs) Yeah, I still have that somewhere. On my two terabyte hard drive. Anyway, um, yeah. So, but it's been such a long time since we've done a Brian McLaren update. I for, totally forgot about the fact that McLaren had his own. Uh, he got to sing his own uh, music. Now, <clears throat> now, if you have not seen the uh, the latest and greatest Miracle Whip commercial, which features a feminine devil character who makes deviled eggs and takes them to an outdoor church function. And you, uh, if you've missed this and you're not aware of all the prophetic insights that are being broadcast via this commercial, uh, lucky for you, uh, William Tapley has been Johnny on the spot regarding this. And, uh, and here's William Tapley to explain how uh, Stacy's Deviled Eggs, that's the name of the commercial for Miracle Whip, uh, how this uh, forebodes and is a harbinger of the fall of the Roman Catholic Church. Here's uh, William Tapley to explain. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the co-prophet of these end times. A couple of months ago, one of my subscribers sent me a very interesting email. 
He said I should check out a new television commercial for Miracle Whip called Stacy's Deviled Eggs. And he said it was very prophetic. He said it was very symbolic. So I watched it, and he was right. The only problem was, it was also very obvious. Anybody could figure it out. So I discarded that idea, and I never did a video on that particular topic. However, just yesterday, a, I watched a video by the Groxt, and he did talk about Stacy's deviled eggs. And he did not understand it. So I guess I was mistaken. You mean to tell me there's another guy out there looking for prophetic insights and in commercials? Uh, what do you call him? The Groxt? I'm going to have to look that up. I guess I will have to do a video explaining that commercial because it is very important. It is very significant for these end times. And it tells us just what the Illuminati have in store for our church. So the Illuminati, are they're selling Miracle Whip now? Man, I mean, you can't even go to the grocery store now without getting entangled in Illuminati things. And so first I want to take a look at some of these images of Satan. Because this video is about Satan taking over the church. And first, we notice that Satan is almost always depicted in red and black. Yeah, those would be artist uh, renditions. Um, yeah. And he is sometimes depicted as at least partly female, or in other words, androgynous, male and female. But there is, of course, if you watch my videos, a solution to Satan, and that is, of course... The Blessed Virgin Mary. Right, because everybody knows she's like kryptonite to the devil. And she is also featured in this video. And she wears, very popularly, both blue and white. And in fact, one of the most important images of Mary was a portrait of her painted by Almighty God himself. God painted a picture of the Virgin Mary? And that's called... Our Lady of Guadalupe. And you know, I, if God is the one who painted that, I, you know, I would expect his, you know, his brush technique to have been a little bit better than that. This is a miraculous image given to Saint Juan Diego in Mexico. And notice she wears a blue mantle and a white undergarment, and she's decked out in gold. She is, of course, the woman clothed in the sun who will crush Satan. And now let's take a look at this interesting and prophetic television commercial called Stacy's Deviled Eggs. Yeah, the devil's all over this, man. Here we see Stacy, dressed in red and black like Satan, sharpening her knife and preparing deviled eggs, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think it's just kind of a play on the fact that they're called deviled eggs, you know? They're trying to sell Miracle Whip here. And there's nothing miraculous about Miracle Whip. It's it's a bread spread. <sighs> By the way, please count the number of deviled eggs. <laughs> I'm afraid to start watching television more regularly because I might find myself going, Oh, 
Oh, wow, the prophetic insights in that latest Hyundai commercial. Did you count how many balloons were in the car? You know, something weird like that. Okay, so how many... Hang on a second here. Two, four, six, eight. Okay, so I well, I think there's 16 deviled eggs on that plate. She then takes the deviled eggs to a church get-together in order to seduce the members of the church. Although she does not fool two of the women, she does fool two of the men, including the pastor of the church. Oh, no! The pastor of the church is eating deviled eggs! He's been duped! He's been deceived! He's now a minion of the devil! Oh, this is ridiculous. Now, it should be obvious that Stacy is at least a witch with her black fingernail polish. (laughs) Well, any of you women out there who've ever put on black nail polish, well, you know what that means. Um, Yeah, again, uh, Mr. Tapley, um, this is just a play on the fact that they're deviled eggs. Yeah, see, yeah, never mind. We continue. But her name is almost an acronym for Satan. It has two syllables, and three of the letters are identical. Yeah, Stacy and Satan. They, you know, Stacy is actually Satan's younger sister. And later on in the video, we see that Stacy looks quite masculine. She has another characteristic of Satan. And- no, she 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 does not look masculine. She's kind of emo, you know? Dark black hair, kind of pale skin, bright red lipstick, you know? She, she kind of looks like death warmed over, if you ask me, but... That is that he is androgynous. In fact, Stacy looks somewhat like a transvestite. And did you have... She doesn't have a five o'clock shadow. And to count the number of deviled eggs. Yeah. I, well, there are 16 of them. Yeah, that's what I got. And 16 is not really an end times number. I mean, you could add 6 plus 1, which gives you 7, but that's... <laughs> so 16 isn't an end times number. I am so disappointed with this. I mean, for years, William Tapley has been giving us the prophetic insights of all of these evil numbers, and he wanted us to count the, the deviled eggs on this plate. And it doesn't mean anything why did you want me to count them it's not really satanic 16 devil eggs are made from eight whole eggs but eight is also not really a number associated with evil okay okay so eight is not evil 16 is not evil and again why were we counting these eggs why are you even pointing this out but if you understand that you count eggs by the dozen, yeah, that is by the number 12, and you realize that eight twelfths of a dozen is two-thirds of a dozen, then we indeed do have a number for the Antichrist. <laughs> he pulled fractions out, folks. Fractions. He found prophetic significance using fractions. Because two-thirds represents man over God and yields the decimal point six six six. Now we come to the most interesting parts of this commercial. 
Oh, yeah. I can hardly wait. First, we noticed that this is some kind of a church event. Yeah. There are crosses on the church, and that would indicate Christianity. Right. But this is not a summer picnic. Even Stacy has a coat on. <laughs> sure enough. Stacy, uh, Satan's younger sister, she's wearing a black coat. This is true. So it's not a springtime event. Black, of course. And many of the people are wearing sweaters or jackets. Yeah. Also, please notice that the leaves have fallen off the tree. Yes, it must be fall. But it can't be spring. No. Because the leaves are still on the ground. So we are talking about some kind of a late fall festival. Right. Could this be some kind of Thanksgiving celebration? Well, I doubt it, because at Thanksgiving, families gather around a table. Have you ever noticed that when William Tapley really builds up a head of steam, I mean, I hate to say it, but he's got some kind of, like, prophetic swagger going on with this video. I mean, he is so excited to show... The upstart prophet people that, you know, that he still is kind of king of the hill here when it comes to prophetic insights. I suspect this is some kind of a harvest celebration. Could it be a harvest of souls? Maybe that knife that Stacy was sharpening at the beginning of this commercial was for the sickle that the Grim Reaper carries. Maybe it was because she was cutting the eggs in half. Because she was making deviled eggs with Miracle Whip. <laughs> I <laughs> lose it. Anyway, you kind of get the point. I mean, with William Tapley, it just, yay, it never ends. I mean, how on earth does this man pay his bills? I, why does he have people who follow him on his YouTube channel and actually send him ideas like this? It's unbelievable. Like I said, though, he's the gift that keeps on giving. So let's let's switch gears here and uh, let's uh, head on over to uh, Lakewood and check in with the Joel Osteen. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be. All by myself, an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth let me go, just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten, just like the Christmas tree. Shiny teeth and me. That's right. That's uh, Chip Skylark and Shiny Teeth and Me. Okay, so uh, the latest broadcast of uh, Joel Osteen's television program is entitled You Are Anointed. That's right. That would be you. You are anointed. And, uh, yeah, this is just what I would consider to be obnoxiously bad theology. But uh, here's uh, Joel Osteen. I mean, at least we get a little joke out of it. You know what I'm saying? Because every week when we play Joel Osteen, we get his... Joke of the week. So here's Joel Osteen to explain how you are anointed.
Well, God bless you. It's always a joy to come into your homes. And if you're ever in our area, I hope you'll stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. But thanks so much for tuning in today. And thank you again for coming out. I like to start with something funny. And I heard about these three men that were out in the wilderness. They came upon this violent, raging river. They needed to get to the other side. The first man prayed, God, please give me strength to make it across. And poof, God gave him big arms and strong legs, and he was able to swim across in two hours. Seeing this, the next man prayed, God, please give me strength and the tools to make it across. Poof, God gave him a boat. He was able to row across in 30 minutes. The next man said, God, please give me the strength, the tools, and the intelligence to make it across. And poof, God turned him into a woman. She looked at the map hiked five minutes up the stream and walked across the bridge. (laughs) Come on, say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. No, you won't. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Yeah, I have no idea why people even bring their Bibles to Joel Osteen's church. Is it just to hold it up above their heads and say, today I'll be taught the Word of God and then put it away because they're not going to be taught the Word of God? I mean, it's not like you need, you know, a notepad, an open Bible, maybe a highlighter and a couple of different type colored pens or something like that because of the in-depth exegetical insights that they're going to be getting from Joel Osteen. I mean, you know, so you, you bring your Bible to Lakewood for what? I, yeah, I don't know. But we continue. God bless you. I want to talk to you today about how you are anointed. We don't have to go through life doing everything on our own, trying to accomplish our dreams only in our own ability. Yeah, now let me kind of clear things up here a little bit. Um, got a problem. Focusing on us being anointed, this is going to be problematic because um, the way he's going to talk about this so-called anointing that we all have, uh, well, the the problem is is that it takes our eyes off of Christ. By the way, do you know what the word Christ means? Do you know what the word Christos means? That's where we get the word Christ from, by the way, is from the Greek word Christos. In fact, the Greek word Christos and the Hebrew word Mashiach, those two words, and you, you, if you're thinking Mashiach, that's Messiah, right? Messiah and Christos are, they mean the same thing, okay? One who is anointed, the anointed one. So when we say Jesus is the Christ, we're saying he is the anointed one. Now, when we somehow are turning around and pointing an emphasis and saying that we are the anointed ones, we're making ourselves into, well, little crease toy. Yeah, that would be the the plural form of it. Um, This is a problem. This is a huge problem. But let's see if Joel Osteen actually, you know, has us open up our Bibles and he can exegete it and, and show us all of the important passages that point us to our anointing trying to overcome challenges in our own strength, our own intellect, our own hard work. We have an advantage. God has placed his anointing on you. The anointing is a divine empowerment. It enables you to do what you could not do on your own. 
It will cause you to accomplish dreams even though you didn't have the talent. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Okay, so let me see if I got this right. So what you're saying is if somebody has the anointing, they can accomplish their dreams even if they don't have any talent. That's what he said. Okay, so yeah, you know, it has been forever. Is is American Idol still on the air? If it is, it probably shouldn't be. Um, it's you know, this is one of those shows that you know long ago kind of passed. You know, you know, became something that was you know passe. But I remember back when American Idol first began airing. And it, it was absolutely a scream to watch, especially during like the opening week or so, uh, because of the people who were trying out for American Idol who probably should not be singing anywhere on planet Earth, including their own shower. And, uh, you know, you remember, was it William Hung? This, oh man, <laughs> he, got, he got up and sang that Ricky Martin song and, and it was awful. It was just absolute comedic gold, right? And so, you know, so if I have uh, Joel Osteen dialed in correctly here, he's basically saying that if you have the singing talent of William Hung, but God has laid it on your heart to be the next Barbara Streisand or the next big, you know, whoever it is, you know, great singer, you know, I'm dating myself here. Um, but <clears throat> so if this is what God has laid on your heart, if you have the anointing, you can pull it off. Even if you don't have any singing talent whatsoever. <laughs> and where does it say that in the Bible? <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> this is not what God promises Christians. This is ridiculous. It will help you overcome obstacles that looked insurmountable. Isaiah said, because of the anointing, the yoke is destroyed. <laughs> oh, no. I, that's apparently um, Isaiah ten twenty seven, And uh, I need I tell you that he's quoting it out of context and we're getting half of a verse. Okay, context, context. What is going on in Isaiah? We better check it out. Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10. Okay, and he's at verse 27. Let's see how Isaiah chapter 10 opens to see if we can kind of get our bearings in this uh, in this chapter. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees. Yeah, that's a good start. Yeah, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. And the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment and the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hands is my fury against a godless nation I send him. And against... The people of my wrath, I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Yeah, could you imagine Joel Osteen pre preaching through this text? 
I don't think so. So let me fast forward a little bit so we can we kind of have a, an idea of what's going on in the greater context as a, of Isaiah chapter 10. Verse 27 is the one that we're going to need to get to, but we better back up a little bit still. We'll, go, we'll take a look at verse 20, see if we can kind of zoom in here a little bit. Now, in that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as... as decreed in the midst of all of the earth. Therefore, says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as with the, as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. And his staff will be over the sea and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. Uh-huh. 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 Now this is interesting here. So he's taking the what translation? I better check a couple of translations here on 27 here because the Hebrew word used uh it's a shemen and it's a little uncertain as to what's going on here. Okay, ver- okay, the New American Standard. So it will be that in that day that his burden will be removed from your shoulders and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be broken because of fatness. That's what uh, the ESV says. Let me check the NIV. Okay, verse 27. Um, and it says, In that day their burden will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke from your neck. The yoke will be broken because you have grown so fat. Huh. Yet, hmm, Joel Osteen here is quoting Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, and saying that the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Huh. He doesn't know how to read Hebrew, and he hasn't checked with other good translations to figure out what's going on here. This ain't good. A yoke is anything that's holding you back. Addictions, bad habits, people pushing you down unfair situations. In the natural, you may feel stuck. Thoughts will tell you, oh, just accept it. Just learn to live with it. No, the anointing on your life can break every yoke. The... Yeah, the problem is, is that you're totally misquoting Isaiah ten twenty seven. I mean, like criminally misquoting it. Anointing is more powerful than any addiction. It's stronger than any person trying to push you down. It's greater than any injustice. Why don't you take me to the clear passages of Scripture that say all of those things? In your own ability, you may not be able. In your own might, you may not have the strength. But what I want you to see is you're not on your own. The Most High God has anointed you. He has put a power in you that cannot be defeated. It can break every yoke. And yet the verse, the one half verse that you quote, actually doesn't say that. It can take you where you could not go on your own. 
But here's the key. The anointing doesn't do any good if you go around thinking, I'll never break this addiction. I can't raise these children. It's too much. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You just talked about how powerful this anointing is. Are you saying that negative thoughts are like kryptonite to the anointing, which render it completely powerless? What kind of anointing is that? Joel, I'm stuck in my career. I never get any good breaks. When you think like that, you are making the anointing ineffective. You're taking away all of your power. (laughs) Okay, so negative thoughts are like kryptonite to the anointing. So if, you know, if... Although he hasn't yet demonstrated that we're anointed the way he's saying that we're anointed. It's as if he's making stuff up and just attributing it to God in the Bible. Okay, so let me see if I got this straight. I'm anointed because Isaiah 10.27 says that that the yoke will be broken because of the anointing. Yet when you read it in all the good translations, it'll say because of fatness or the fat weird um but then you know let's ignore that for a second let's let's just pretend and boy we're really pretending this is quite the fiction uh that joel osteen you know by some miracle of god actually rightly handled isaiah ten twenty seven, in which he didn't um but let's pretend that he did um you're now saying that this uh, this powerful anointing that can overcome obstacles that is capable of taking somebody who has no singing talent and giving them the supernatural ability to win American Idol, that this anointing that is as powerful as it is, is is rendered moot and useless and powerless by just something as simple as a negative thought? It's quite the fragile anointing, you know what I mean? I've heard it said, the anointing to us is like gasoline to a car. You can have the most expensive car. Where did you hear that? Because I'm not finding that in the Bible. With a huge engine, beautiful exterior, fine on the inside. But if you don't put gasoline in it, it's not going to do much good. In the same way. So Positive thoughts are gasoline to the anointing? You've been made in the image of Almighty God. You are full of incredible potential. Uh, Jesus says that we're sinners and that we sin because out of our hearts come all kinds of evil sin. Do you know better than Jesus what human beings are really all about? You have seeds of greatness. Where does it say that about me in the Bible? The fuel you need to release your greatness, to overcome obstacles, to accomplish dreams is the anointing on your life. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, just make something up and make it and say it positively with really shiny teeth and, oh, you know, people will buy your books and they'll come to your stadiums and, and want to just hear more and more of this utter, complete nonsense. This is tripe. This is ridiculous. The anointing is only activated where there's faith. (laughs) But it could be totally rendered ineffective by negative thoughts. Instead of complaining about how it's not going to work out, how you'll never accomplish your dreams, turn that around and start declaring, I am anointed. Uh, Narcissism here, like of the highest, you know, lowest, well, of the worst type. I am equipped. 
I am empowered. And you are a heretic. I am well able. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. If I put those words in Stuart Smalley, everyone will see, see what they are. And I'm good enough and I'm smart enough. When you have this attitude of faith, speaking words of victory, you are putting fuel in your car. Yeah, and where does it say that in the Bible again? You're stirring up your anointing. Uh, so so I, I get an anointing stir stick just by being positive. That's when you'll go places that you couldn't go on your own. That's when you'll see breakthroughs. Situations suddenly change in your favor. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, um... <laughs> He never really gets any better, does he? He just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. That has nothing to do with biblical Christianity, but um, he sure is making a gazillion dollars uh, telling that kind of nonsense to people. Um, sad part is, if he doesn't repent, um, he's going to have to give an accounting to, to Christ himself regarding all of these words of nonsense and narcissism that he filled these people's ears with. And all in the name of Jesus, too. Yikes. Anyway. All right. We are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we've got... Uh, a Terry Savelle Foy update, and probably a Todd Bentley update. I think we can squeeze that in. We'll go a little long in the first hour. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Hello, my name is Joel Osteen, and I want to tell you about my latest book. Every day is Friday. I really don't know why I wrote this one, though. I was trying to come up with some ideas, and it turns out I don't have any. So that's when I started thinking of things people really liked. I was thinking of all sorts of stuff, but none of the things I was thinking were really working. My first title was, Every Day is Marshmallow Covered Rainbows, but my mama told me it stunk. And then I had one of those ideas, because somebody on the TV said they like Friday. I mean, what's not to like about Friday? There's a party every night. If your boss isn't all strict and stuff, you can be casual at work. And they's always having that 25-cent wing night down at Bubba Wings on Tuesdays. Turns out there are some people who don't seem to like the whole every day is Friday thing and have made some not-so-nice remarks. They keep on saying things like, but Saturday is so much better. With every day being Friday, I don't ever get to sleep in or have a day off. 
Well, we here at Lakewood have a name for these kinds of people, and they are close-minded haters. Hey, that's my line! Uh, security, get this crazy person out of here. I'll show you who's crazy! for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could probably help you stop looking in the mirror and declaring affirmations over yourself, which would actually be a good thing. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith every month automatically. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. And 
That's right. I'm a Barbie girl. That's our <clears throat> our update music for Terry Savelle Foy, who is kind of like William Tapley. She's got her own YouTube channel and does her own ministry. But the problem with Terry Savelle Foy is that her theology is definitely in the word of faith heresy camp, uh, along with Joel Osteen and others. And this this is a very, very dangerous theology. The reason it's a dangerous theology is because it is what we call the theology of glory, or you can call it the theology of self-glory. Hmm? This is not a religion that calls people to take up their cross daily and follow Christ. This is not a religion that prepares people for real true suffering that Christians experience in the form of persecution, persecution from within the church, persecution from in the world, persecution, you know, if for proclaiming the gospel and then also the suffering that comes along with, well, having a sinful body that is on its way to a grave. Yeah. And so what this what this religion is is basically a um a plastic um think of it well you know it's like a plastic surgery uh, kind of religion it's a plastic religion um with artificial sweeteners and flavors that takes your eyes off of Christ puts it all on the here and the now and you and this is really a a religion that works well for the beautiful people the beautiful wealthy people um, and keeps their eyes off of Christ and doesn't bring them to penitent faith in Christ. And it works well for them until things really start to fall apart in their lives, which often happens to people because, like I said, all of us are heading to the grave. So we got a real problem with uh, Joel Osteen's theology and Terry Savelle Foy's. But again, let's call it what it is. This is the theology of glory, or you could call it the theology of self-glory. And, you know, well, let's let's take a listen to her latest video entitled Clutter Cleanout Challenge, um, where she shares a story about a direct revelation that she apparently received from God. Uh, in fact, God apparently talks to her directly quite often. And uh, and she, she's going to share that word that God gave her because apparently God wants her to give it to everybody else. Here's Terry Savelle Foy to explain the details. Hey, thank you for watching. You know, first of all, I want to say a big thank you to all of our partners and friends who support us and are helping me make a difference all over the world. In fact, next week. So she's making a difference all over the world. Pay attention to the details. I'll point them out along the way. Partners are sending me to France to minister in the nation that God's put on our heart. And I just want to ask you to pray for us. So you're going to go to France, one of the most secular nations on the planet in all of Europe. Are you going to call them to repent of their sins and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Me and about 17 other women are going to be all over Paris, but be praying for us because, you know, yes, France is the most beautiful country in the nation. So, quelle coincidence, it's not a coincidence. God is sending us to that nation to wake up the dreamers. And God's sending you to France to wake up dreamers. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah, that'll make a difference in the world for sure, yeah. Tell them it's okay. Give yourself permission to dream. So you're going to go all the way to France to minister to people in one of the most secular nations on the planet, and you're going to give them permission to dream. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. So anyway, I want to thank you for praying for us. Why would I pray for you to do that? I need to pray for you to repent. But today, I want to talk to you about something I'm calling Clear the Clutter Challenge. Uh Uh-huh. The Clear the Clutter Challenge. 
Clear the Clutter Challenge. Nice alliteration. Now, here's the challenge I want to give you, and let me tell you why. You know, every year I like to just listen for the Lord and see what kind of instructions He has for me personally about direction for my life. And a lot of times, you know, every year the Lord gives me some type of instruction. Sometimes it's just one word. Sometimes it's two words. Sometimes it's a sentence. But I usually just apply it for me personally. It's not something that I share, you know, with partners. So she's a prophetess. Partners and friends or share publicly. I just take it personally and see, okay, how can I apply this to every area of my life? Well, this year, what the Lord put on my heart, I felt like I was supposed to share with you. Uh Uh-huh. I don't feel like you should be sharing this with anybody. Uh, Do my feelings matter in in this decision? I feel like this is not only instruction for me, but for you, too. Yeah, I don't think so. So here's what it was. I was sitting there quietly, January 1st, praying about the year, Uh and all of a sudden, three words came up in my spirit. Bibbity bobbity boop. First one was purge. Uh huh. Okay, that could be taken wrong. The second one was perfect. Mm-hmm. And then the third one was prepare. Uh-huh. Purge, perfect, prepare. Three P's. So I just wrote those three words down purge, perfect, prepare. And I was like, okay, what does purge mean? Because at first I was kind of like, purge doesn't sound that pretty. <laughs> what does this unattractive word mean? Well, let me. It's yeah, clearly it's an unattractive word. It, it it has kind of negative connotations to it. Let me just tell you. The word purge actually means to systematically and permanently remove old and unneeded objects, to rid of whatever is impure or undesirable, to cleanse, to clear, to free someone from an unwanted feeling. So God was telling you to purge all of the bad theology and doctrine that you have been believing for all these years of your life. And you didn't do that. Hmm, You should have done that. Condition or memory or to clean house. So that's what the word purge means. Then I looked up the word perfect in the verb tense. Yeah, see, God was telling you to instead believe sound, perfect doctrine, biblical doctrine. So you were called by God to purge out all this false word of faith, heresy stuff that you're buying into and believe in the perfect, true, sound, biblical doctrine, the the real solid stuff, right? In a verb form, and it says to bring to final form, complete, mature, in perfect, good-as-new condition. Then it said spotless, pristine, immaculate. Notice she's exegeting this direct revelation that she supposedly received from God. So I was starting to see a little pattern here between what the Lord was telling me. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think you want, I don't, number one, I don't think God was talking to you, but um, if this was really from God, you clearly missed the point. The third word, prepare. I looked up the meaning of that word and listen to this. It says to make ready for some activity, purpose, or use. Yeah, that would be, you see, God is calling you to purge out all of the false doctrine you've been believing, believe in the perfect sound doctrine that's actually in scripture the real gospel real sound doctrine in order to prepare uh for the end of your life and eternity with him right he said hmm, okay to make yourself ready for something that you will be doing something that you expect to happen okay 
So how much you want to bet she didn't see that as get rid of the false doctrine, believe true doctrine, and prepare for uh, her death? Now, that's when I started getting really excited about this. Uh-huh. Something that you're expecting to happen in your life, something you're believing for, something that's off in the future, you're believing God it's going to happen. God is saying in order to prepare for it, to be ready for it, you might need to purge some things, perfect some things, and get prepared. So I took that as getting everything in my environment cleaned up in pristine condition. Did you hire a maid? So that I would be ready for the new things that God wants to bring into my life. Well, I want you to be thinking about that. What are some things you need to do to get things in order, to get things cleaned up in your physical environment so you're ready for what God has? So you did your spring cleaning a few months early. Wow. Yeah, like I said, um, this is clearly a religion uh, that's, well, for the pretty people. It's for the people that are wealthy. This is for the, uh, you know, basically a religion that takes people's eyes off of Jesus. This is why it's called the theology of glory, as opposed to the theology of the cross. It's just absolutely deadly uh, in in what it does to you. It takes your eyes off of Jesus, has you chasing after all kinds of weird and strange things in the name of God, too. And, um, and, well, none of this is actually what Scripture teaches. And what it does is it doesn't prepare people for the real suffering that, that Christians actually are called to be prepared for and to not consider to be something strange. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, as well as chapter 5, verses 6 through 11 reads, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do you think Terry Savelle Foy can prepare people for the fiery trials that come to Christians? No, not at all. But rejoice insofar as that you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Notice it says being insulted for the name of Christ. Do you think Terry Savelle Foy is going to be insulted for the name of Christ when she goes to France to give people permission to dream? But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Have you ever stopped to consider the fact that that famous verse about the devil being like a uh, prowling, roaring lion is in the context of suffering as a Christian? And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, do you think Joel Osteen and Terry Savelle Foy and folks like them are preparing people to suffer for the name of Christ? Suffer as Christians? No, not at all. This is a different religion altogether. This is the epitome of the theology of self-glory. And the theology of self-glory has nothing to do with the suffering and crucified Jesus who calls Christians to take up their cross and follow him. That means follow him to death. Uh Uh-huh. Something to think about. Moving along. Yeah, so uh, Todd Bentley, taking a quick, hard turn to the left here. Todd Bentley is out on the, uh, what is it, writing circuit, the uh, revival tour. I don't know. He was in in Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, for some fresh fire revival, supposedly, about igniting Tulsa uh, or Oklahoma on fire with the spirit. And uh, on the 4th of June, he held what was called a supernatural debt cancellation service. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And so how do you think supernatural debt cancellation happens in Todd Bentley's theology? Well, see, here's how it works. Todd Bentley, he holds a supernatural debt cancellation service, and he being the anointed man of God and the miracle-working dude that he is, um, he will believe for you and with you that God is going to miraculously cancel debts. But there's this little, well, problem. And the problem's this, is that in order for God to actually bless you, you have to kind of step up in faith so that when the anointing is released, you can kind of get in on it. And the way you get in on that and release the anointing is by acting in faith by writing a check. Yeah, here's a, a portion of uh, <clears throat> Todd Bentley's supernatural debt cancellation service uh, with the uh, the important bits included so that you can kind of understand how this theology works. Here we go. Coming into your family, I'm talking about uh, supernatural debt cancellation tonight. I just need a few minutes to build faith. People said to me, I, you know, not people, but I've gotten letters. And people have said, you know, where's that in the Bible? Some kind of a magical way to get money and a bigger offering maybe? Yeah, supernatural debt cancellation. Apparently it's all over the Bible, you know. And that's why I'm so careful. It has been since 2010 that I've had any kind of a service like this. Because I can really only move as the Lord moves upon me this way. I want to be so careful not to manipulate and, you know, there's preachers that I love and God bless them. So he wants to be careful not to manipulate people. He's going to be very careful not to manipulate anybody. Yeah. And yet what you're about to hear is uh, what we would consider manipulation. No, they get on TV and it's just one money message after another. And it's, you know, I love to preach healing and glory and revival and fire and power, but I believe in prosperity too. And so this preacher, I might talk about blessing and prosperity. I might have testimonies of breakthrough financially, but I don't preach very many messages that are about debt cancellation and financial breakthrough and money. I receive offerings. 
But tonight, I want to share from the Word of God, where in the Bible? Because if it isn't in the Scripture, you have nothing to lay hold of. And I want you to lay hold of something that can be even greater than this service. And if you're watching me, the broadcast tonight live, I want you to get a hold of some of these promises in the Scripture so that you can know you have a biblical foundation to stand on to start declaring and praying and receiving the forgiveness, even the debt cancellation that God wants you to have. Not forgiveness of sins, but forgiveness of debts. It's a part of the cross. and uh, So did you know that, you know, like, you know, debt cancellation, like, you know, your your credit card company calls you up and says, yeah, 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 I know you owed us like uh, $5,000, but we just feel like we need to cancel that debt. And so we're going to cancel it for you because, you know, this is what you can expect because of the cross. Uh-huh. That's what we call a false gospel, folks. It's a part of redemption. And many of us go, yes, Todd. So really, yeah, supernatural debt cancellation is a part of redemption. I know that. But if I was to ask you to give me 21 ways that God provides, if I was to ask you, give me seven ways that you could make a withdrawal on the treasure that you already have in heaven. If I was to ask you seven ways to make a withdrawal on the treasure you already have in heaven. You know, just go down to the local branch of the heavenly uh, bank, you know, heavenly bank, right? And you just you know, just write a check to self, and then you know you can withdraw money out of your heavenly treasure. This is ridiculous. Why would any grown person who calls himself a Christian actually believe any of this nonsense? To give me ten supernatural examples of provision, if I was to ask you to speak to me about the five ways that God provides supernaturally, if I was to ask you to you know. There would be one or two. You, you really got a good idea of what God has said about money and prosperity. But many others would be, well, you know, I just, I pray for it and it's God and I sow into it. And we got to have something. You sow into it. Uh-huh. Now, he said he wasn't going to manipulate people. Here comes the manipulation. And bigger, because I'm trusting God tonight, not just in the room, but I know a lot of our Fresh Fire partners. Oh, yeah. He's trusting for people, not just people in the room there at that church, but... Fresh Fire partners who are tuning into the live stream. Know that we're having a service. And I got a, I got a letter today from one pastor already, and he said, Todd, I'm writing a... Here's the manipulation part. A check for $500. I said, why? He said, I mean, I want it. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can write me a check for $500, pastor, anytime you want. I said, but why? Just randomly. I'm sending you a check for $500. I said, that's random. He said, well... You're having a greater glory debt forgiveness cancellation service tonight, aren't you? I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm moving myself into faith already. He's moving himself into faith. Yeah, so that he can get in on the anoint the supernatural anointing debt cancellation thing when the anointing falls. So the way you get out of debt is you give money to Todd Bentley. Why on earth would God want you to do that? I said, Wow. I didn't even know that you knew that I was having a service tonight where we were going to believe God. He said, you've been talking about it for about seven days, and I've gotten into faith, so I'm writing the check, and I put it in the mail already, because when that anointing and that glory hits tonight, I'm getting my breakthrough. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he's going to get his breakthrough. And it's only going to cost him 500 bucks. And you see, this because 
that that guy was able to write a check, you know, to Todd Bentley. That proved to God that he was believing for the breakthrough, and God's going to see that as a true step of faith. And when the anointing falls, He's in on it. Uh huh. Yeah, this is um, a Ponzi scheme. Now that night on uh, on June fourth, during the supernatural uh, anointing uh, debt cancellation service. Uh, Justin Peters, who was one of the speakers at uh, John MacArthur's uh, Strange Fire Conference. who This is a guy who specializes in the Word of Faith heresy and people like uh, Benny Hinn and Todd Bentley and all of the other Word of Faith heretics. So this, you know, His uh, presentation is quite in-depth. Um, he went to the Supernatural Debt Cancellation Service, Justin Peters did, kind of dressed like Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> And uh, I guess that was his disguise. And somehow he was able to uh, get up. And, you know, Todd Bentley has a microphone held up to Justin Peters' face. And Justin Peters is going to, well, speak the truth about Todd Bentley. Uh, Listen to this. And Jesus will look at them and he said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. This man is a worker of iniquity. Which man? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Justin Peters, to Todd Bentley's face, and the entire audience said that Todd Bentley is a worker of iniquity. And by the way, Justin Peters is absolutely spot on, dead right about Todd Bentley. You, he preaches a poem. God bless you. This is a true promise, though. This is the truth. Don't hit me with your crutch. I'm just trying to bless you. Well, thank you, sir. I'm not giving you my anointing because I have nothing to give. Uh-oh. Oh, Todd's not going to share his anointing with Justin. That's good because I think Todd Bentley's anointing is demonic. Thank you. Just bless him and just pray. Hallelujah. So anyways, if you would like to... Ta- so Justin is still talking, trying to warn people that Todd Bentley is a false teacher and a worker of iniquity 6707 and now security's uh, got him six and just send a message get ignited you could be on that list we just bless our friend tonight you know that is a true scripture by the way that is a true scripture if you do not know the lord in intimacy you can do miracles you can move in power you can move in signs and wonders but we really do need to know jesus and I just thank God for our friends here tonight. Yeah, so there they go. They escorted uh, Justin Peters off out the um, off the side there. <laughs> brave, brave move on his part. You know, I, in fact, I somebody pointed that out to me, and I said I want to shake his hand. And they said, "Well, you can do it." You know, in a couple of weeks, he's going to be at Reformation Montana. So. Yeah, <clears throat> there you go. Just I wanted to kind of share that with you, but. Anyway, you get the point. Todd Bentley, if you know anybody who believes that that man actually preaches the truth and that they're going to get out of debt by writing him a check or that that man actually has or they believe foolishly that that man has a real anointing from God, no, he doesn't. The guy is a tin penny, a slug nickel, false teacher. And, you know, he was – remember that whole Lakeland revival thing? I mean that whole thing blew up. 
I mean, it was n- number one. It was preposterous. It was absolutely ridiculous. All of his claims of people rising from the dead because people were taking dead bodies and putting them in front of the television. All the weird stuff. Claiming that he was healing w- w- people by kicking them and stuff like that. I mean, it's unbelievable. And that whole thing came to a flaming, you know, crashing, you know, cr- you know train wreck because uh, he, he was. Uh, he was having an affair with his babysitter. You remember all of that? Yeah. I mean, this guy does not preach the truth. He preaches himself. He preaches a false gospel. He manipulates people while saying he doesn't manipulate them. He tells stories. That's what he does. He tells stories, and in the process of telling the stories, he ends up fleecing people and you know, telling them that God's going to give them miracles if they will just you know give him money and things like that. And nothing could be further from the truth. God doesn't want you to send any money to Todd Bentley. God wants you to keep the money that you've earned and use it wisely and responsibly and support true Christian ministries, you know, with a portion of what it is that you make, but not to send it to that man in order to somehow earn a miracle or a blessing or a debt cancellation or something like that. That's not how God operates. Justin Peters is a- is absolutely right. Todd Bentley is a worker of iniquity. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. A Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley sermon to end up our broadcasting time here in the state of Indiana. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... listening to Byron Christian Radio. No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean metachlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! Run! Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. 
Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. To a fighting for the faith sermon review time. Right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith word equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via bethel evangelical free church hanley stoke on trent in the united kingdom pastor jervis nicholas edward charmley presiding the name of the sermon we will be listening to is entitled christ in the chaos and the text he will be preaching from is from uh, the book of genesis Chapter 29, starting at verse 31, all the way through chapter 30, verse 24. This is one of those texts. It's, you know, the story of Jacob being deceived into marrying Leah, although he was working to marry Rachel. And then he ends up working to marry Rachel some more years. And then they have the baby boom with Zilha and Bilpah. And, and, you know, it's, it's just one of those pandemonium passages and the name of the sermon again is christ in the chaos pastor charmley does a fantastic job of remembering what jesus said that the scriptures are about him and so charmley finds jesus in this text and he does a beautiful job of finding him so let me go ahead and kill the music and without any further ado here is pastor gervais nicholas edward charmley and his sermon entitled christ in the chaos Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, reading from chapter 29, verse 31, through chapter 30, and verse 24. Genesis 29, 31, to 30, 24. It has been recorded for us how... Jacob, the son of Isaac, went out seeking a wife, came to his mother's relatives in Hanan, and his uncle Laban played one of the meanest tricks in the Bible on him, made him believe he was marrying one of his two daughters, but in fact he was marrying the other one. And so it was that Jacob took to himself not just one wife, but two, which in the scriptures is always the beginning of trouble. 
So Genesis 29:31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me. Therefore, because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, he has given, and he, he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings I have prevailed with my sister. I have wrestled with my sister, indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes, so she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. And Jacob came out of the field in the evening. Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely fired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards she bore a daughter, and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. We pray God to bless the reading of 
His inspired word. Our text this evening is found in the section from which we read Genesis 29, verse 31, the first part of that verse, when the Lord saw. If your reaction to this portion of scripture is anything like mine, it was probably what on earth can we get out of this mess? What a disaster, what a total train wreck Jacob's home life was. This man married two wives and that was his first mistake. And to a great extent he was tricked into doing it. He wanted to marry Rachel. He was set up so that at the wedding the woman behind the veil was not the woman he thought was behind the veil. And then he was left with the option either to go with the woman he had or to add a second wife, the woman he wanted. But what a mess it was. What utter chaos. Now of course one thing we get out of this mess immediately is that polygamy is a really, really bad idea. That it leads to the family being full of conflict and chaos. When God gave the law on Mount Sinai, one of the laws he gave was that a man was not to marry two sisters at the same time. That law had not yet been given, but this portion of the scriptures shows us why that law was a good idea. But of course we're all agreed here tonight that polygamy is a bad idea and shouldn't happen. So what else do we get Why we find this? That Christ comes into the chaos of our sin and our wickedness. That God is in this world of sin, this world of wicked, broken people fighting one another, struggling and hurting one another. But God is working. God is in the midst and God is bringing out of all the wickedness of this world his good purposes and glory and praise to his name. So we see first of all the compassion of God. Then we see the conflict in the family. And thirdly we see the control of it all in the hand of Almighty God. The compassion, the conflict and the one in control. So we see first of all the compassion, that first verse, that we read when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. It is hard, I would say impossible, not to feel pity and compassion for Leah in this situation. She was the girl nobody wanted. The woman nobody wanted to marry, which is why her father resorted to the wicked 
trick that he used to marry her to Jacob when Jacob thought he was marrying Rachel. Nobody wanted Leah. She lacked the striking beauty of her sister. And so she was unloved. Unmarried, she was still unloved. In that society, woman's status in the world was decided by the men she was associated with. That's why widows were particularly vulnerable. And Leah's status was to be decided, first of all, by her father, and then by a husband. But instead of a husband who loved her and cared for her, she had a husband to whom she had been married by a trick who, quite naturally, did not love her the way that he loved Rachel. But God looked upon her, saw her in that situation where that marriage was a burden to her. That which should have been her joy was simply more sorrow. Her father saw her as a problem to be disposed of, a burden to be got rid of. Her husband saw her as an unwanted burden that he could not get rid of. But God saw her as a person who was unloved. The Hebrew word is literally hated. A woman who was ignored by her husband, who spent all the time he could with her sister Rachel. To her father she was a problem. To her husband she was unwanted, but to God she was a woman loved and cared for. And God opened her womb, gave her children. Now in that society, children mattered a great deal, and particularly to the family of Abraham. Abraham had been given a promise of a seed, descendants, and coming out from those descendants, one greater descendant the seed, Christ Jesus. Jacob's grandfather and father had long sought a son and had prayed and had wrestled and had waited expectantly and only after many, many years had they been given the son they sought, but in the case of Jacob, God swiftly gave a son by Leah, the unloved, and she called his name Reuben. The name literally means see, a son. And she said not only was it because he is a son, and people were to look and to see here is a son, a gift of God, but because the Lord hath looked on my affliction, 
and she hoped that now my husband will love me. And yet Jacob did not. And so the names are given to the succeeding sons. Simeon, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, because she has prayed to God, asking, Oh, that my husband would love me. And Levi, attached. But now there are three. Surely he will be attached, and he will love her. And she bore her forth and called him Judah, saying, Now I will praise the Lord. And she did not know that from that boy called Praise, there would come he whom we praise today, Jesus of Nazareth, the Saviour, whose name we have sung, the name of our salvation, the name we praise and honour. Praise indeed came through Judah. And Leah never quite understood. But God looked upon her misery. God in his grace. For God respects marriage because he made it. Man has messed with marriage in every society. Has brought in their own ideas. In this case, as in many societies today, the idea a man can have more than one wife. We have done other things with marriage in our society. We have said that we can attach the name to other relationships than the one that God has made. But God respects marriage and will not have men disrespect it by playing with it in their own way. And God has compassion upon our misery. And the depth and height of that compassion, the breadth of that love is seen in the one who came through Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus of Nazareth, who comes to redeem us, to save us, to deliver us from our guilt, that we in him might live. There is this eternal grace, this eternal mercy. In his compassion he sent forth his son, not to good people, not to people who were trying their utmost to live up to his demands, but to a world of guilty people. While we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were trying to turn over a new leaf, not while we were trying to change, but not while we were still sinners. His compassion comes to those who are undeserving, we see how it was that Leah afterward went in for this contest with her sister. Even using her maid as a, a surrogate to bring forth more children. She was not an innocent sufferer, but a sinner like you and me. 
and God had compassion upon her. And so none may say, well I am too guilty for God's compassion to touch me. For God's compassion comes to the guilty and to the most guilty and to the most wicked. And Christ, knowing the hearts of men, knowing the twistedness of human nature fallen in Adam, came into the world to save sinners. This mercy is for you and me. This God is our God forevermore. And so there is the compassion, the grace of God, and then the conflict, because sin always creates conflict. And first of all, the sin here was the sin of Laban. The sin of that man who deceived Jacob and said, yes, you are marrying my daughter Rachel, but behold, it was Leah under the veil. And no doubt he, in order to make sure that the marriage came off, there was no interruption, no suspicion on the part of Jacob. He would have made sure that it was quite dark in the tent, keep those oil lamps burning as low as possible, make sure that Jacob's cup gets filled up with wine more often than anybody else's. The wicked man that he was, Laban. And this sin of Laban involves these other people. Jacob and Leah. And Leah obeying her father when her father told her to do what was wrong. And that too was sin. And Jacob marrying a second time, that too was sin. And out of it all comes conflict. The first sin, the sin of our first parents in the garden of Adam and Eve, when they broke the covenant there with God and took of that fruit that he had said they were not to take and ate of the fruit he said they were not to eat. That first sin brought about conflict between man and God. Also conflict between man and man. The first conflict that sin establishes a conflict between man and God that man says, I will not, when God says, do. A man says, I will, when God says, do not. That first conflict, that first battle, because sin is first of all, man turned in upon himself. It is that lawless attitude that says, I will not be subject to anything outside myself. And we see it more and more in our society. That people say, why should I be subject to this and to that? Why should I be subject to the law? The law of man, the law of God. And this idea now that morality is something that we decide for ourselves. Well, that doesn't work, does it? 
We have had that tragic crime committed in America yesterday that unhinged young man. And we are all agreed that murder is wrong. That what he did was evil, wicked and sinful. To take the lives of others. And yet if, we, if it is said, as society so often says today, well, you know, what's right for me might not be right for you. Who are you to judge? And so men say, but God says he is the one who judges, the judge of all the earth. But human sin sets up this conflict, this lawlessness that man says, I will not be subject to any but myself. When a man puts that view into complete operation, totally adopts it as that poor, wretched young man did yesterday. We call him quite rightly crazy, deranged. He believed himself a little God. But that is what sin finally brings about, the destruction of man. There is no peace, God says, for the wicked. And there never can be, because the wicked are always fighting against something and someone fighting against God themselves. Conflict comes because of sin. And so we see this contest to see who can have the most children. And how terrible it is and how wicked. And yet God in his mercy comes into that conflict. Christ comes into a world of sinners. In this world of sin he was born. For us sinners he was in that manger. For us sinners he was raised upon the cross. For us he died. For us he bled. For us he arrived. He rose again from the dead. He comes when we know it not. For Leah did not know that that boy called Judah would have a long way down the family tree a descendant called David who would unite God's people as their king and that from David there would come the Lord Jesus who would bring together people from every tribe, tongue and nation and reign forever as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Saviour of the world comes into a world of sin, into a world of sinful, broken human relationships and he came that we might be reconciled to God to take away that sin. He was manifested, he was revealed to take away sin, to take away 
the wickedness, the rebelliousness, the lawlessness of human hearts to take it away first of all by bearing our sin in his own body on the tree also to take it away by transforming his people from one degree of glory to another and remaking us, recreating us in his own image that we might be holy and spotless people who desire not their own but Christ's he came that we might ever praise the Lord in that heavenly place that new Jerusalem where God dwells with his people forever the conflict is to be ended by Christ he comes into a world of sin and then we see the control God working out his purposes in the midst because out of all this all this chaos, all this sin all this wickedness there came the twelve patriarchs from whom came the nation of Israel Laban was simply thinking how do I get rid of my daughter nobody wants to marry Jacob was thinking simply I want to marry Rachel Leah was thinking I want to be loved by Jacob Rachel I want to have children and out of all of those conflicting human desires there came Israel the people of God the people to whom the word of God came the people through whom the Saviour came the people who brought the word to us to them was given to them the oracles of God they were the caretakers from them came the prophets from them came Moses the lawgiver and from them came the Lord Jesus and eternal salvation for all who trust in his name God is working out his purposes we do not see and understand how it is happening most of the time there are times indeed when God lifts the veil and shows us when we read the Bible we see how it is that this happened that all these things did indeed work together for good but in our current situations we do not always see we are called to trust that all things work together for good for them that love God who are called according to his purpose and we see God and sin God is not the one who is the author of sin God did not say to any of these people you must do this wicked thing Laban chose to commit his sin that set the whole thing off Jacob chose to take a second wife he chose to take 
Bilhah as a concubine and Zilpah as a concubine. He chose to commit these sins. And all of these people, they chose to do what was wrong. There was no force placed upon them from outside. Just as when we sin, we do so not because of some external force. We choose, and we choose wrongly. And yet God is working in it all. For sin does not overcome God. But God overcomes sin. That is the message of the cross. The greatest sin that man ever committed was to put to death the Lord of glory. The greatest wickedness there ever was was that which was in the hearts of those who, hearing and knowing that this was the Messiah, that they, they told the world, oh, we are looking for Messiah, we are looking for the Saviour, but when he came, they killed him. The greatest sin that man ever committed. But the greatest work of the grace of God that ever was. The height of divine love that he there prays, Father, forgive them. And he there is suffering that guilty sinners may be reconciled to God. And he is there declaring the love of God where God the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. And he comes, returns to his own on the resurrection morning and says, Peace be unto you. Peace of the cross. Where love triumphs over sin. Where God overcomes sin. Where all the wickedness of man tries to do away with God, but God does away with the wickedness of man, bearing our sins in his own body. Dying for you and me, there is the victory of God over sin, where sin thinks it is triumphing over God. His good ends are always accomplished. Nothing that man does can frustrate them, but that greatest wickedness of man actually accomplishes the good end of God. And Christ triumphs because he dies for you and me, that we might be made new creatures that we might be redeemed, delivered from an empty, sinful way of life and brought into the kingdom of the Son of God's love, that we might live henceforth not to ourselves, but unto Christ and show forth his love and follow after holiness, perfect holiness, Delivered, redeemed in every single way so that God will be all and in all. So we see God over all in this part of the scriptures. Working in love and in grace as he is in the lives of his people. 
and we see Christ coming into the wicked, sinful conflicts of men, into this world of sin and violence and wickedness to bring his peace and that all is in God's hand and the victory in the end is never the victory of sin over God but the victory of God over sin that he triumphs most mightily and most perfectly and most wonderfully in his cross he is working and Christ is coming again and every eye shall see him and the one who comes to make all things new is the one who has come already and who has begun that making of all things new upon his cross let us then cast ourselves on him trust in him Commit ourselves to him in all our struggles, in all our trials, come to him. In our sin, not feel that he is keeping, him, keeping us away from him, but bring it to him that it may be taken away, nailed to the cross, and we may be transformed. And we may triumph over it as he has already triumphed share that victory knowing that we shall share at last that rest that is his oh may we therefore trust him trust the Christ in the chaos for his name's sake Amen Amen what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter and in there at pirate Christian. Until the week after next, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>